Have you ever felt it? That excitement, that hum that reaches into the very base of your stomach and makes your whole body feel alive? Well, your life can feel like that. Each week, I'll be sharing ways your personal wellness journey can lead you to a life that literally makes you hum. We'll be diving into all things nutrition, mindset, connection, spirituality and relationships to encourage you to be courageous and brave with your life and most importantly, unashamedly you. Together, let's find your hum. Hello, I'm Kirsty. Welcome to Find Your Hum. This is episode 16, where I'll be chatting all things eczema. Whilst we learn about treating eczema at uni, it wasn't something that I had had a lot of experience with. That was until recently when my poor little niece has started to experience this quite badly. Eczema or atopic dermatitis is a chronic inflammatory skin condition in which it leaves the skin kind of red, swollen, scaly, and there can also be fluid coming out of the lesions. It is actually quite a common condition with approximately 10 to 12% of the population experiencing this. However, it is predominantly seen in children under the age of five. Like most conditions, eczema is the body's way of telling us that something isn't right. Eczema is different from contact dermatitis, which can actually occur at any age. This episode wraps up our month exploring the link between skin and gut health. In the psoriasis episode, I spoke about gut health generally and the inflammation at skin level that can be triggered by the gut. In episode 14, I shared my own personal skin health story. I also dived into SIBO, which is small intestinal bacteria overgrowth, and which is not only the underlying driver of rosacea, but also IBS. If you missed any of those, pop back and have a listen. There is heaps of information and advice, not only to help your skin, but also your gut. And today we're talking eczema and its link to leaky gut, but also to our immune system. This episode is for informational purposes only, and it is not designed to diagnose or treat any condition. If you need help with your skin health, please get in contact with me through the link in the show notes or pick another health practitioner who can assess your own personal circumstances. There is a lot of chat in this episode about food allergies and the removal of those foods. Having been through a lengthy time of removing a lot of trigger foods from my diet, I have developed recipes without the inclusion of some of the most common food triggers that are known to inflame the gut and trigger skin reactions. These recipes are low reactive, designed to help reduce the inflammation within the digestive tract, as allowing it to heal whilst also being packed with nourishment, and most importantly, allowing you to still enjoy delicious food. So I've gathered together some of my favorites and popped them into two cookbooks, one which is kind of based around lunch and dinner recipes, and the other one with nourishing treats in it. Both of those can be found in the show notes for you to download for free. You really don't have to go without when you're on a restrictive diet. Eczema is what we refer to as an idiopathic response to a stressor. So what that means is that the cause or the condition actually has a spontaneous origin. Due to this, what is actually causing the eczema can be difficult to identify quickly. That stressor could be coming from a multiple of places and often not just one place. It takes assessing and reassessing a person's symptoms and reactions and then adjusting the treatment based on what feedback the body is giving us. Treating this condition really is a marathon, not a sprint. 
Eczema does have a few differing symptoms which can actually help us determine whether it is an acute, subacute or chronic form of eczema. I'm going to use atopic dermatitis or eczema interchangeably because they are pretty much the same thing. So if you have acute dermatitis, you will often have a little localized swelling, small fluid-like sacs, which actually may be weepy and be painful. Subacute dermatitis is when the skin begins to crust and scale, and there is the appearance of like erosions on the skin. Then chronic dermatitis will again have the scaling, but the skin has started to become quite thick, hard, and very dry. As I said earlier, the stressor that causes the body to react could come from a variety of places. So let's have a look at a few of the key drivers for eczema. Firstly, there could actually be a genetic component. Research has found that a gene that codes for fligarin may actually become mutated, and this can lead to an increase in the risk of eczema. In fact, those with a Northern European ancestry are actually at higher risk of this mutation. And if you do have this mutation, your risk of eczema is actually 40% higher. Filigrin is actually the protein which helps the clustering of the keratin filaments or our skin fibers. But what filigrin can actually do is bind to other skin building molecules and actually compromise our own natural moisturizing factor. This natural moisturizing factor actually keeps the epidermis, the outermost layer of skin, nice and hydrated. Now the thing with all gene mutations is they need to be turned on. And this generally happens when the skin barrier is stressed and it initiates the inflammation. This stress can be external, that is from outside, onto the skin barrier, which is often the case in something like a contact dermatitis, or it could be from internal to the skin barrier. This internal stress is generally the result of a shift in the balance between our T helper 1 immune cells to our T helper 2 immune cells. I'm going to refer to T helper 1 and T helper 2 as TH1 and TH2 cells just for ease. Now the shift in TH1 to TH2 is an indication of immune dysregulation, which is another important underlying cause in eczema. In order to understand this TH1, TH2 talk, I'm going to give you a very quick lesson on the immune system. Don't worry, it will be brief, but it will be very helpful in understanding exactly what is happening within the body. In a healthy immune system, there are two types of T helper cells, and this is where the TH comes from. There is TH1 and TH2. TH1 and TH2 do several jobs in our bodies. They work together to create a nice balanced immune system. They recognize foreign nasties known as pathogens. And they make hormonal messenger proteins called cytokines, which travel to the source of our inflammation. Now this balance can be likened to a seesaw. We actually want both TH1 and TH2 to work together and not have one type of either TH cells taking over and dominating the other one on a long-term basis. Eczema sufferers are commonly born with a significant TH2 dominant immune system. Researchers have firmly established that people with eczema have a TH2 dominant immune system and suppressed TH1 responses, and this contributes to developing food sensitivities and allergies. TH2 dominance means that you can re-overreact to foods or the environment and it can actually worsen your eczema. 
The reason for this is that when TH2 becomes switched on, it activates eosinophils. Now these are a type of white blood cells and it also increases IgE allergy type reactions, which I will explain shortly. This activation leads to symptoms we recognise as allergies. For some people, this can become severe, leading to asthma, eczema and anaphylactic reactions. Much of the balancing of the Th1 to Th2 response actually occurs in pregnancy and early infancy. I will discuss how this happens in much more detail soon, but once the immune system gets stuck into an abnormal pattern, we actually have a much more difficult time trying to correct it. This is why treatments that aim to balance the Th1-Th2 ratio can actually take a long time to work, but it is very important to stick with it to make sure you see the results. This is an area where it is beneficial to work with a health practitioner. The root cause of the imbalance between Th1 and Th2 needs to be found. Is it an overproduction of the Th2 cells? Or is the imbalance due to an underproduction of Th1? It is also a very fine balancing act as you don't want to tip the scales in the opposite direction. The Th1 and Th2 cells really need to be in equal balance. There are some foods that can actually increase Th2 cells and they probably should be minimised or avoided whilst you're treating eczema. Green tea, including matcha, can actually stimulate Th2 as can turmeric, cacao and olive leaf extract. There is also some constituents found in apples, tomatoes, watermelons, grapes, red wine and peanuts that can also help stimulate tea helper too. Now I spoke about IgE before. This is a type of antibody that is activated when the immune system overreacts to allergens. These antibodies release chemicals which trigger an allergic reaction and that cause the symptoms that are either like in the nose, throat, lungs or in the case of eczema on the skin. This reaction is actually helpful. It allows the body to remove the allergies through either mucus production, sneezing, itching, coughing, watery eyes and in some cases even vomiting and diarrhea. Where the problem with eczema and other allergies lies is with the hypersensitivity. Our body's immune responses become hypersensitive to the allergens and is unable to switch off or effectively deal with that allergen. That Th2 side of our immune system is triggered and we are not able to turn it off. Environmentally, the excess of Th2 can actually be stimulated by something called phthalates. Now these are found in a variety of products and again should be minimised if you think that this tea helper 2 might be a problem. These products include toys, vinyl flooring, detergents, lubricating oils, food packaging, even soaps and shampoos. If you listen to the episode on psoriasis and gut, you will now know that the skin has its own microbiome. A shift in this microbiome can actually alter that skin barrier and cause inflammation. The bacteria Staphylococcus aureus has actually been shown not to only amplify the inflammation, but also stress the skin barrier. This is a gut and skin health month, so I really need to talk about the gut connection here. And not just because it is gut and skin health month, but particularly because a child's gut health is one of the underlying causes of eczema. Now, the bacterial colonization of the intestines begins as early as before a child is born. As the unborn child begins to drop into and passes through the lower uterus, colonization of the intestines begins, 
and the microbiome begins to be established. However, the main establishment of the microbiome happens after birth. First up, a newborn, through lactation, establishes a microbiome dominant in bifobacterium. Then during the weaning period, with the introduction of solid foods with breast milk, the infant begins to build a more adult-like microbiome with bacteroidetes and firmicutes, making an appearance and this continues to develop until about the age of three. This establishment is affected by lots of different factors, whether or not you have a caesarean versus vaginal delivery, whether you feed through breast milk or formula, whether or not there was any antibiotic usage during the first three years of life, and also the timing of introducing solid foods and ceasing breast milk feeding. Intestinal bacterial colonization has a huge impact on the development of a normal immune system through the proliferation and differentiation of the T-cells. Now, these cells include T-regulatory cells, which help regulate the immune system, switching it on and off as needed, as well as those T-helper 1 and T-helper 2 cells, which I spoke about earlier. Also, our B cells such as our IgA, IgE, and IgG. When there are disturbances in the development of the colonization of the microbiome, this can actually disturb the development of the immune system and cause immune diseases such as food allergies, atopic dermatitis, and asthma. Now, I don't think there's a coincidence that we are seeing a rise in food allergies, eczema, and asthma in children and adults at the same time that we have gradually seen a rise in caesarean births and a decrease in breastfeeding. I'm sure I have some mums listening who have had caesarean births and a formula fed their children for a variety of different reasons. And they may actually be feeling a little down on themselves right now or beginning to blame themselves for their child's eczema. If that is you, please stop. Hindsight is a wonderful thing. For some, it might not have even been possible for you to control the way that your child was born or if you breastfed or not. Where I get a little bit cranky is with the medical system not providing the support or information for you to be able to help your little one's microbiome to become established because there are ways to help. For instance, if you have a caesarean birth, you can actually take a swab from inside the vagina and wipe it over the baby at birth and this helps with that initial colonization. Two, there are some amazing probiotics out there that can be given to newborns to help with the establishment of their gut microbiome. These can be added to formulas or you can even put them onto the nipples of breastfeeding mums. Three, there are foods you can also introduce your child to which aid in the development of their microbiome within that first three years. Now one of the environmental triggers for atopic dermatitis is food. In fact, up to 30% of skin symptoms are actually triggered by food. The symptoms from food triggers can be immediate, sort of like within minutes, or they may even present quite later on. So it is super important to identify what these food triggers are. Not only to identify what the triggers are, but also to avoid removing foods from the diet that we don't need to restrict. This sensitization to food allergies is from both a defective skin barrier, but also through increased intestinal permeability, which is triggered through inflammation within the digestive system and that defective immune response I spoke of earlier. This is where T-helper 2 is overstimulated and triggers the hypersensitive IgE response. In the case of eczema, gut health really has to do with both the microbiome, but also that all-important gut barrier. The main food culprits for inducing atopic dermatitis are 
cow's dairy, gluten, soy, eggs and peanuts. In one study, 60% of children with eczema were found to be reactive to one or two of those foods. And there have been cases of children reacting to tomatoes, artificial preservatives and colours. Now, I was actually going to say the easiest way, but having a niece who is currently experiencing this, I am not going to say this is the easy way. So I'm going to go with cost effective. So the most cost effective way to determine what you or your child may be allergic to is to remove all the possible allergens from their diet, let the symptoms subside, so you're looking at sort of one to two weeks, and then you need to challenge the system through introducing a little of each allergen one at a time. The reason you don't want to just eliminate them all is that you really do need to be eating a variety of foods, but you need to eliminate those offending foods. It's actually been shown eliminating offending foods for a period of time is beneficial, but restrictive diets long-term can lead to other deficiencies and problems down the track. When you are reintroducing the foods, you need to do so little and slowly. So for example, let's say we're going to try reintroducing eggs. So you're going to start with around, say, a quarter of a cup of cooked eggs on day one. So your child or you eat the eggs on day one. You are going to watch for any signs or any reaction on day one, day two, and day three, but you are only eating the egg on day one. If there wasn't any reaction on those three days, try the egg again on the fourth day, and again, look for reactions on day four, day five, and day six, but you are actually only eating the eggs on day one and day four. Now, this reaction actually doesn't have to be isolated to the skin, remember. Allergic reactions can include changes in bowel movements, bloating, cramping, itchy eyes, itchy throats, or even an asthma-style reaction. Once you've tried the eggs, then you completely remove eggs from the diet again and pick another food. So this time you might choose dairy. And again, you have a small amount of dairy on day one, Watch for the reactions for three days. Another small amount on day four. Watch for the reactions. You don't want to keep compounding the foods. Otherwise, you won't know what food is actually causing the reaction. Now, on a center blood test, your acinophil count is actually a great way of detecting allergies. This is because this type of white blood cell actually increases in the presence of allergies. Now, it's not going to tell you exactly what you're allergic to, but it will confirm that there is something happening in your body that needs attention. Keep in mind though that eosinophils also rise if there is a parasite infection, rheumatoid arthritis or Hodgkin's disease. Now you can actually have tests to confirm any of those other conditions but just know that your eosinophils can be an initial response to the allergens. There are also laboratory tests that can be done to identify foods that cause a reaction. These tests look for an IgE or an IgG reaction. They include a blood test or a prick test. Now, prick tests will give you a pretty quick result for any IgE reactions. However, they are unable to detect non-IgE allergens and can also give false positives. So sometimes the blood test is a better way to go. Now, what is the link with leaky gut? There has been some contention around the term leaky gut, with the terminology now changing to hyperpermeability of the gut. However, I actually think the term leaky gut really does give you a better visual of what is actually happening. So what is this? It's when the walls of your intestines begin to break down 
or separate, creating little holes which allow large protein molecules to escape through and enter into the body through the bloodstream. Now the body is quite clever and it knows those molecules are not meant to be on the outside of our gut and our immune system sees them as an invader. What do you do with an invader? You mount an attack. That's exactly what the immune system does. It mounts an attack on those protein molecules. Now the immune system is already on high alert due to the change in T helper 1 and T helper 2. And this increases the antigen load, further overwhelming the immune system and further increasing the possibility of developing further allergies. Studies have shown that this permeability is actually decreased when low allergen diets are consumed. This is why it is important to identify any offending foods and remove them as soon as possible. Like I said, whilst this can be difficult, especially in children who do not really understand, the removal of these foods and the restoration of the gut barrier will significantly improve any further development of food allergies, but also help the skin. The longer that gut wall is permeable, the greater risk for allergies. If possible, removing the offending foods for 6 to 12 months is advisable to really allow the antibody levels to the food to decrease to a level where the foods can be reintroduced. The success rate of the reintroduction of foods that children have developed allergies to really does depend on the length of time that a child has experienced those allergies. In a study that looked at the chances of a child outgrowing an allergy, they actually found that in children over the age of three, 19% of the previously positive food allergies were negative at the time of the follow-up. In children three years of age or younger, that actually increased to 44% of those that had a positive response to food that were actually negative at follow-up. These follow-ups were performed over a seven-year period of time, and interestingly, whilst the food challenges improved, some still did show reactions when the skin prick test was performed. The message here really is, get help sooner rather than later when addressing any food allergies. The longer damage is done to the gut wall, the increased risk of ongoing deficiencies. I spoke about this last week in the rosacea and SIBO episode. In our small intestine, there are very small finger-like projections called villi and microvilli, and they are all along our small intestines. They secrete enzymes that break down our food so we can get our nutrients. Inflammation in that area actually damages the villi, and we can no longer effectively break down and extract the nutrients from our food. This can actually cause nutritional deficiencies down the track where we will no longer be able to extract all the nutrients we need from our food. I spoke about the link between candida, a yeast that is commonly found in our microbiome and actually should be in the right amounts, and psoriasis in that earlier episode. And there is also a link here with candida and eczema. If candida overgrowth is suspected, addressing this can also see significant improvement in your eczema symptoms. Another consideration, which is probably one for our adults that are still experiencing eczema, is poor liver detoxification. Now, this does not mean liver disease. Your liver could just need a little extra love to help it deal with the amount of toxins that we unfortunately have to deal with in today's world. 
These toxins can come from the food and drink we consume, but it can also be the skincare that we use or the air we breathe. All of this can affect our liver. So again, if you think this is a problem for you, this is an area that can definitely be looked at to help your eczema symptoms. Now, what determines how severe a child will have eczema? There's three main things. One, if your child has eczema within the first year of life, unfortunately, you may have a child that has a more severe case of eczema. If there is a history of asthma or hay fever within the family, and children living in urban areas can actually have a higher rate of severity in eczema than those living in the rural areas. And I really believe that's that exposure to toxins within our air onto the skin barrier. There are a few complications that can happen due to eczema, due to the itchy nature of eczema and the fact that those fluid-like sacs can appear, there can be a risk of infection. The itchiness can also lead to sleep deprivation, a lack of concentration and even some reduced self-esteem. Now, like I said earlier, the risk of not addressing allergies and the inflammation within the gut can actually lead to ongoing nutritional deficiencies, which may cause further conditions down the track. And not addressing the T2 dominance can actually lead to autoimmune conditions in some cases, as the immune system is on a much higher alert. Now, what about treating this condition? Unfortunately, prescription or over-the-counter medications fail to treat the underlying cause of eczema. And some of the treatments such as corticosteroids or antibiotics can actually make some of those underlying causes worse. In terms of addressing the underlying cause, no one treatment option is effective for every person. This is because we are all individuals with different histories. Yep, even as young as one years old, we all have different histories. How we were born, how we were weaned, our parents' medical histories, our time spent in our mum's tummies, even where we live. Now, where you can, breastfeed your baby. It has been shown in studies that breastfeeding does help prevent atopic dermatitis as well as other allergies. The treatment for eczema really does focus on finding the cause of the condition. Like I said back at the very beginning of the episode, eczema is idiopathic, and as such, the identification of the cause can be tricky and often lengthy. Treatment to begin with is often broad, and over time, with the feedback from the body, treatment can become more focused. As I said, this is a condition where the treatment is definitely a marathon, not a sprint. A thorough and comprehensive look at all aspects of a person's life is needed, from their medical and family history to their food and lifestyle. This may sound strange when eczema predominantly affects children under five, but it really does need to be looked at. We want to make sure that any changes we make are necessary to minimize symptoms and the reoccurrence of eczema. We also know that actual psychological stress can affect the presentation of eczema. This is another reason why a thorough assessment needs to be made. Changes to diet and lifestyle can actually be a source of psychological stress. So making sure we are only eliminating what is necessary can actually help reduce some of this stress. Working with a practitioner can also help with substitutes for the eliminated foods. Having personally battled through many dietary restraints, I must say I'm well versed in the food swap area and I absolutely love food. So when the list of foods I was reacting to kept increasing, I can tell you I was determined to still find ways to enjoy most of the foods I liked 
without the ingredients that I knew weren't so good for my body. While stress is generally more predominant trigger in adults, a clinical trial was actually performed on children in which parents massaged their children for 20 minutes a day for a whole month. Now these children had a reduction in redness, scaling, itching and thickening of the skin. In studies that address the emotional tension through cognitive behavioural therapy and other psychological therapies in adults, it actually saw eczema reduce significantly and also reduce their need to use their corticosteroids. Other stress reduction techniques that have shown to reduce symptoms include Tai Chi, yoga and progressive muscle relaxation. This is where you tighten up all different areas of the body in isolation and let them fully relax. For instance, you start with your feet, like your toes, so you scrunch your toes up really tight, as hard as you can, hold it for five seconds, and then fully relax. And then you go up to your calf muscles and your legs, and you squeeze and tighten all the muscles in your legs as hard as you can, and then let them fully relax. And you basically go through this up the whole body, And again, that can be a really nice way just to reduce some stress in the body. Now, probiotics. We know the microbiome plays a huge role in skin health. Due to this, the use of probiotics can actually help with reducing the severity of eczema. Specifically, lactobacillus rhamnosus GG and lactobacillus ruteri. Now, probiotics have been shown to alter the Th2 cytochrome production in both healthy people and those with allergies. So it's definitely one to try under the consultation of a practitioner. Essential fatty acids or omega-3s, and you may know omega-3s as either EPA or DHA, are essential for skin health. In fact, eczema is actually a sign of EPA deficiency. And in adults, it's been shown that the omega-3 fatty acids, both the EPA and DHA, are actually lower in those people that have atopic eczema. Essential fatty acids are contained in cold water fish, things like salmon, sardines, mackerel, and also in flaxseed. Now, the body doesn't use the DHA in flaxseeds quite as well as it does in the cold water fish. So where possible, get your dose of essential fatty acids from fish. Fish oil helps the body have an appropriate immune response as well. It blocks inflammatory cytokines by irreversibly binding to the immune system enzymes. And in this case, irreversible is actually good. It allows your body to have an appropriate immune response. If you are choosing to take a supplement, make sure you are choosing a high quality brand. Essential fatty acids are unstable and the quality of them are definitely not created equal. Optimum absorption, ensure your essential fatty acid supplements are consumed with a meal containing moderate dietary fats. Whilst you're also addressing that skin gut axis, a low allergen diet should be followed. We've spoken about this before. Eliminate gluten, dairy, soy, any other identified or suspected allergens. It might also be really good to avoid tea, coffee, alcohol, sugar and artificial colours, flavours and sweeteners, as these are also known to disrupt the intestinal lining and also the microbiome, especially when you're going for gluten-free. They often replace the flour with sugar. So just be mindful of that on the packaging when you're buying gluten-free. 
Also, in Chinese medicine, it's often considered that eczema is due to an excess of heat and too much damp within the body. So avoiding some heat-causing foods such as alcohol, lamb, chocolate, and mangoes, but also avoiding the damp-causing foods such as deep-fried foods, coffee, tea, and soy milk, which is kind of what we've said before. So it's quite interesting that traditional Chinese medicine already has these things in their bag. Vitamin D sata should also be investigated. Vitamin D is well known for its effect on down-regulating the inflammatory side of our immune system. This inflammation is the underlying driver for eczema. Vitamin D is best obtained by the sun, but be mindful of excess heat on eczema lesions. Cover up these areas and limit the time in the sun to 10 or 15 minute intervals. In case of severe deficiencies or extremely bad eczema, supplementation may be needed. Vitamin A is also a great one as it helps both the skin and the immune system. When you combine both vitamin A and vitamin D, immature T helper cells can actually be switched to the anti-inflammatory T regulatory cells. And this is actually helpful for either an excess of either T1 or T2 cells. Like vitamin D, vitamin A may need to be supplemented. But both vitamin A and vitamin D should be supplemented after seeing a health professional, particularly so with vitamin A, as there are many different types. And for example, the type of vitamin A called retinol will actually dry out the skin, where beta carotene is a much safer way to boost your vitamin A levels. So think about consuming things like carrots, green leafy veggies, yellow veggies, and dried apricots that are sulfate-free. Remember, we don't want the preservatives in them. And honestly, once you've had a sulfate-free dried apricot, I don't think you can ever go back to having the normal apricots. They definitely don't look as orange, but they are so much more tasty. Now, vitamin E is an antioxidant that is predominant in our skin and is essential for preventing skin inflammation. It helps decrease the immune system, releasing those pesky pro-inflammatory cytokines and also stops them sticking to our tissues. Supplementation of vitamin E resulted in major improvements or complete remission of eczema. It has also been shown to reduce the levels of the IgE compared to those who didn't supplement vitamin E. Vitamin E can also assist with the T-helper 1, T-helper 2 balance by improving the T-helper 1 response. Now, vitamin E is fat-soluble, so it does need to be supplemented with caution. Please work with a practitioner who can assess if this is right for you. Now, if you want some food sources, vitamin E can be found in nuts, seeds, avocados, and tahini. And to help vitamin E work in the body, it is great to combine it with vitamin C, so things like capsicum, broccoli, and citrus fruits, and also with beta-carotene, which if you are getting your vitamin A dose with your carrots, you are definitely on your way to achieving. Now, while studies have not shown a direct link between these minerals and eczema improvement, their effects in the body will actually help the immune system become more responsive. So, making sure we're getting a good dose of zinc can help our immune system better regulate itself. So things like oysters, pumpkin seeds, sesame seeds, and almonds. Selenium also helps the function of our T cells and also activates our B cells. So seafood, nuts, grains, Brazil nuts. 
Iron can also become deficient during periods of inflammation. And when this is deficient, it can actually affect the immune system, but it can also affect our production of collagen, which we need for a healthy skin. So iron can be found in all of our animal meat, but also in our green leafy veggies, broccoli, our beans, our legumes. But with our vegetable sources, we do need to make sure that we're including a good source of vitamin C with it, just to make sure that our body can absorb that iron. I did speak about the liver earlier, so including some things like onion, garlic and our brassica veggies are also really good for the liver and onions and garlic can also be anti-inflammatory. And just some other really helpful tips when you're having to deal with eczema. Try taking lukewarm baths or showers and just like you really try to avoid those hot showers as it can actually make the skin worse. Don't use ordinary soap as the ingredients may aggravate the eczema. Wash your body with warm water and for the armpits and groin, use soap-free products. Bath oils are actually really lovely to moisturize your skin while bathing. And when you're drying, pat rather than rub your skin. You really want to avoid overheating the skin in general. So when you're getting dressed, wear layers of clothing that you can remove as required instead of that one really heavy layer. And don't put too many blankets on your bed and maybe even try to avoid doonas. So again, you can take the layers off as you get hot. Always wear protective gloves when using any type of chemical or detergent. If you're swimming, try to avoid chlorinated pools. I know this is probably hard with kids as they're learning to swim. But if you do have to swim in a chlorinated pool, actually popping some coconut oil on your skin first before going in can help. Or also making sure that when you come out, you're washing off the chlorine straight away and putting on some really nice moisturizer. Wherever possible, keep your face free of makeup because sometimes even hypoallergenic cosmetics can irritate your skin. So again, just be mindful of that one. Avoid perfumes, fragrant skin lotions, and also really strongly scented shampoos and conditioners. Also look out for that phthalate connection with those products. Now, I haven't had any actual personal experience with this, but I know that so many of my fellow practitioners swear by using a product called Mugu that I definitely know you can get in Australia. And they've got a particular cream that is designed for eczema and they honestly swear by its effectiveness. So maybe go and check those out. I will put their link in the show notes. I have no affiliation. It's just that I've heard great things. Cold compressors and wet wraps may actually reduce itching and can actually help with the penetration of any creams that you are using. Just make sure that your wraps are 100% cotton. And just to reiterate, manage your stress levels because stress can absolutely flare up your eczema symptoms. Before finishing up, I would just like to acknowledge how hard this can be on parents if your child is suffering with eczema or really any chronic condition. There are times when you will feel helpless and as a parent, all you want to do is to be able to help your child and take away the uncomfortableness they are feeling. It will be really hard to take away food and drinks that your child enjoys. It will be hard to try to explain to them why they can't eat something that their friends are and you will need to be strong for them. And there will be times when you will get frustrated with how long it is taking or the fact that your child has had a relapse. 
I found this hard enough for myself, let alone having to be responsible for a little one that you would do absolutely anything for. Just remember, during this time, you also need to keep up your own self-care. You can't be strong for your child if you are depleted yourself. Take moments to fill your cup and recharge. Cheers for tuning in to another episode of Find Your Hum. Don't forget to subscribe. Oh, and tell your mates about it. <laughs>